Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. Today is the day of remembrance, where we remember all of the saints who have gone on to heaven since last year. The title of Dr. Dorch's sermon today is What It Takes to Enter Heaven. The big idea is now is the best time to consider the state of our hands and our hearts so that we might live confidently now and joyfully forevermore. On this All Saints Sunday, I invite you to hear now the reading of God's Word from the 24th Psalm, the Word of God for the people of God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. May God add his blessings to this, the reading of his word. It's an old story, but I think it's a pretty good one, and it's certainly a most telling one. The story revolves around a revival preacher who one evening during the revival service was waxing eloquently on the splendors of heaven, using all of those vivid word pictures that we as people of faith grew up with with respect to heaven. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, sea of crystal. I mean, he was really feeling it, and the congregation was feeling it and seeing it also, witnessed by the hearty amens that were being raised all over the sanctuary at some point. The preacher rhetorically asked the question, who here tonight wants to go to glory? At which point, at which point, hands were raised, outstretched across the sanctuary, except for one brother who was sitting near the front. The evangelist couldn't help but see all the hands raised with the exception of this one brother in the front. So the preacher had to ask him, Sir, sir, do you not want to go to heaven? And the man answered, Of course I do, but I thought you were getting up a trip tonight. I know it's corny, but it makes a point, a most important point, that when it comes to heaven, we may think, that our decision to be found in that number and to do what is necessary to have the assurance that one day we will be with the saints in glory. We may think it's a decision that we can put off. We don't have to make that decision today. That's something that we will have plenty of time to do, certainly toward the end of our lives. When the truth of the matter is that preparing yourself to be in that place where joy's immortal flow is a decision. It is a decision that each of us gets to make each 
and every day? I think that's an important question for us to consider this morning as we have remembered the names of those near and dear to us who have gone from our number into glory. This is certainly a day, perhaps more so than at any other time of the year, when we are able to reflect soberly and seriously and to ask ourselves the question, am I certain, am I certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that when my time comes, I will be numbered among those saints who are with Jesus? It's a question that certainly was on the heart of the psalmist as we see from this passage of Scripture this morning, the 24th Psalm. I find it more than coincidence. I find it providence, an expression of God's grace to us that two of the most important psalms with respect to heaven are next to one another in God's Word. Psalm 23, which we all know, and is a psalm that is read most frequently at funeral services. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 gives us the confidence that because of God's care for us, the steadfastness of God, the certainty of His love, we can know, we can know that we have so much to look forward to when this life is over. Psalm 23 points to what lies ahead and, and Psalm 24 instructs us as to what we must do in the meantime to be ready when that time comes for us. And so in the 24th Psalm, the psalmist asks, what is the essential question for all persons who have been gifted by God with the breath of life? Who among us may ascend the hill and the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy presence? You ask most people today how they would answer that question. And they may not come out with it directly, but the truth of the matter is that for so many people, they think in these categories, they think in either the category of presumption or the category of merit, neither of which is correct. But you ask a lot of people about heaven and about how confident they are that when their time comes, they will be received into glory. Many people will say, well, you know, God is steadfast 
and God is merciful, and God is abounding in love for us. And all of that is true. All of that is true. And people are presuming upon God's nature and being that there is no way, no way, that God would ever leave me out given how God's word describes God's nature. And while without question all that people would say in that respect about God is true, they're not telling the whole story. God is faithful and God is just. And God does love us so much so that if in this life we reject God, we reject his ways, we refuse to allow God to take hold of us, to direct us, to lead us. The time comes where here on earth we have said no to God in so many ways, on so many occasions. God's love for us is so great. God in glory is not going to receive us if on this earth we have chosen not to receive him. Presumption as to the nature and being of God is not nearly enough of a foundation to build our eternities on. And if there's anything worse than that, it's, it's the notion of merit. Well, look at my life. I mean, I'm, I'm not a perfect person, but I'm a good person. And I do this and I do that and I, and I try my best to help other people whenever I have the opportunity and surely, surely God will take into account when that day comes and I stand before his throne in judgment. Surely God will say, well, look at Doug. He preached for 43 years. He did so much good for so many people. Let's let him in. The scripture is very clear that when you go down the path of merit, you must ask yourself the question, okay, okay, you've, you've done a lot of good, but have you honestly done enough good to be able to justify yourself in the presence of God? And the witness of scripture is, no, no, none of us is that good. None of us is that blameless. None of us can ever do enough to justify himself or herself before God. It's not what we do. It's what God does for us, in us, and through us by means of our faith in Jesus Christ. So neither presumption. God's got to let me in because that's who God is. Or merit. Well, look at all I've done. I'm not that bad of a person. Neither is a basis for us to anticipate a promising tomorrow, certainly not a glorious eternity. So what then must we do? What must we do in order to be saved, in order to find that assurance and that confidence that when our life here on earth is over, there is more life to come the 24th Psalm explains it 
as well as any place other in Scripture, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in His holy presence, they who have clean hands and a pure heart. The emphasis is on both the external, the clean hands, yes, to live with innocence, to live with a lack of guilt, to live in such a way that we give evidence that our hearts are in the right place. There is the external, but it is, it is joined with the internal, the purity of heart. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed, blessed are the pure in heart. Those who will only one thing, who have a singleness of purpose, and that is to be on God's side. Blessed are the pure in heart. Because they are the ones who will see God. Trusting our way to God as God has trusted himself to us in Jesus Christ. And then allowing our trust to translate into deeds that show how our base motivation is to do what we can to further God's kingdom purposes in this world. And the combination of the external and the internal, the clean hands and the pure heart lead to the kind of life that results in our assurance that when this life is over, there will be more life to come transformation that happens in us that God brings about through his grace, his mercy, his love, uniquely, ultimately, definitively expressed in his son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many stories in the New Testament that speak to how God works in us to bring about cleaner hands, purer hearts. One of my favorite stories is that which is found in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John where we read of the story where Jesus has an encounter with a woman who has been caught in the very act of adultery couldn't be any more guilty than that. Now, Jesus didn't initiate this encounter. John is very clear about how this woman was brought before Jesus. She was brought before Jesus by the religious authorities, the scribes and the, and, and the Pharisees, who were attempting to use this woman to put Jesus in a trap. The scribes and the Pharisees did not embrace Jesus. Why? Because Jesus exploded their notions of presumption and merit. Jesus exploded their notions of presumption and merit. The scribes and the Pharisees presumed that God would accept them. Why would God not accept them? Look at all the good that they have done for the people. They were elevating the law of Moses. And here comes Jesus preaching a new message of love and compassion and acceptance for sinners whom God 
yearned to reclaim and had sent him to be the means to their reclamation and their redemption. And so the scribes and the Pharisees bring this woman before Jesus. You know the story. Teacher, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commands that we stone her. What do you say? You see the trap. If Jesus had said, yes, yes, stone her, that's what the law says. That's what the book teaches. Then the people, particularly the sinners, would have turned against him. They would not have seen the love of God in him. If Jesus had said, let her go, then the scribes and the Pharisees would have said, he does not take God's expectations seriously. We told you, we told you. Teacher, we've caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Now the law is clear. Stone this woman. What do you say? Isn't it interesting how Jesus at first doesn't say anything? He doesn't say anything. He stoops down, John tells us, and he begins writing in the ground. And trust me, there have been commentaries written on what Jesus must have been scribbling in the dirt. Some say, well, he was stalling for time. Some say he was writing the sins of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's all speculation. We don't know what Jesus was doing. It doesn't matter. What matters is how after a moment Jesus stood and said to the religious authorities, okay, okay, here's my response. Whoever among you is without sin, I mean, you're completely pure in terms of your merit, your hearts are in the right place. Your hands are clean. Whoever among you is without sin, cast the first stone. Jesus had exposed the lack of purity, the lack of cleanliness. The Gospels tell us that beginning with the eldest, no doubt the younger ones were watching, who's going to go first? They threw down their stones and they all departed. But that's not the end of the story, is it? It's not the end of the story. Jesus is left with a woman who's guilty. She is dead to rights according to the law of Moses. No greater sin could have been exposed than the sin that this woman had committed. She was now standing before the person who had the cleanest of hands and the purest of hearts. Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? And no doubt, partly out of relief, partly out of trepidation because she knows who she's standing before. The woman says, no one, no one. And Jesus then responds to her with blessing and vindication right out of Psalm 24. Blessing from the Lord, vindication from the God who is my Savior and also with a mandate. Neither do I condemn you Go your way and don't do that sin anymore.
question of when our time will come, when we are called to stand before Jesus in the judgment, just as those who have gone before us had to do. No one knows when that time will come. If we did know, we could plan for it. Couldn't we? Like a birthday. Plan for a birthday. You know the birthday's on the calendar. Or an anniversary, you plan for an anniversary. The anniversary is on the calendar. Or you plan for a family reunion. You put the family reunion date on the calendar. But none of us, none of us has any knowledge as to when the time come when we must stand before Jesus in the judgment so that, so that every day, every moment, this day and this moment becomes an opportunity for us to embrace God's grace in Jesus Christ that does a work in us, that transforms us from the inside out, that takes our hands and makes them clean, takes our hearts and makes them pure, takes our lives, the entirety of our being, and makes us more fit for His glory. Today becomes an opportunity for us to trust God in Christ, to do that in us, How did Martin Luther King Jr., the great civil rights activist, once phrase it? I'm not the man I ought to be. And I'm not the man that I want to be. And I'm not the man that I can be. But how did he end it? Praise God I'm not the man I used to be. Jesus was doing a work in him that Dr. King understood was making him a person more fit for his glory. And that same Jesus can do that same work in you. He can take you from the person that you are and change you into the person that you want to be, that God created you to be. So that when the time does come that you stand before Jesus in the judgment, in the sweet by and by on that beautiful shore, where there are streets of gold and gates of pearl and the saints have gathered by that crystal sea that flows from the throne of God, you can be certain that along with our brothers and sisters, our loved ones who have gone before us, you can be in that number and what a day of rejoicing it will be. Because for you, on that day, having trusted in Jesus, you will receive your blessing from the Lord. You will receive your vindication from the God who is your Savior.
Let's bow together for prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we do thank you for what you have done for us, something we never could have done for ourselves. You are a merciful God. You accept us just as we are. And you love us so much that your desire is to not see us stay that way, but to become better and holier and purer even now to become saints who reflect your grace and your glory in us. We do thank you for the assurance that we have once we trust in Jesus that for all who believe in him, they shall not perish but have everlasting life. And as good as many of us have it here in this world, the world that is to come is so much better. Brighten our lives and our hearts and lift our spirits with the hope of glory that is before us through Christ, your Son, our Savior, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work. Mm -hmm.